Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Genesis Blog Podcast. Today we have Yash presenting um for us the Frax protocol. So with that, over to you. Hey guys, so today we're going to talk about Frax. Uh, Frax is a all-in-one DeFi platform which offers a range of services. So it was uh, founded in uh, late 2020 uh, by this guy called Sam Kazemian and. Uh, Basically, it started as a stablecoin platform. So the way it works is Frax is a, it's a partially collateralized stablecoin, which also has an algorithmic mechanism to stabilize the peg. So we'll go to the details of how exactly that works. But what you need to know is it's kind of a fusion of MakerDAO's DAI and something like a fiat-backed uh, stablecoin like USDT or USDC. Um, so it tries to, you know, get the benefits of both of those two completely different ways of creating stable coins and uh, create a decentralized stable coin that is as capital efficient as possible. Uh, so that is one aspect of Frax. Um, then they expanded their uh, product lines. So they offer three services as well. Uh, the first one is called Frax Swap, which is essentially uh, an automated market maker similar to Uniswap, but employing slightly different mechanisms. Uh, they also have a lending market called Frax Lend, which, uh, which basically functions very similarly to Polygon or Aave. And they have the latest product line, which is called Frax Ether, which is uh, a liquid staking solution for Ethereum, uh, similar to Lido Staked ETH. Um, with that, Frax has been implemented on Ethereum as well as 17 other chains. Uh, including Polygon, Phantom, Binance Smart Chain, uh, Avalanche, Arbitrum, Solana, Moonbeam, and a bunch of others. Uh, it, there's currently around uh, $1.1 billion of FRAX circulating. Uh, so it's a USD peg stablecoin. So, I mean, the to total stablecoin market cap of circulating coins is around close to $100 billion, maybe slightly less. Uh, and just 1% of that is Frax, which is 1.1 billion. So it's barely anything if you look at the total stablecoin supply, but it still is the second largest decentralized stablecoin after MikoDAO's die. Uh, so there's, you know, lots of potential and, uh, you know, decent amount of hype around Frax because it's employing a pretty unique design uh, as compared to any other stablecoin out there. And the team also seems to be building very, uh, you know, vigorously in this bear market and constantly pushing out new products and services to just increase the sources of revenue for the protocol as a whole. So before we go into the details of these different product lines, do you all have anything to add, comments, et cetera? Uh, nothing specific. I think um, you're going to touch upon it anyway, but I think it would be very interesting to get into the detail of how this algorithmic stablecoin plus you know, collateralized stablecoin model works in practice because, you know, we've seen um, the frailties, I guess, of algorithmic stablecoins brought to light this year with, with the, uh, you know, implosion of USD. And, 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 and it's just uh, very interesting to explore whether that uh, fragility can be mitigated a little bit by having uh, an element of collateralization included alongside that algorithmic angle. Um, and another angle that I would like to explore is the use of USDC 
um, and uh, did, did you and USDT? Um, I, I, are they did, did you say that they use USDC and USDT uh, to maintain the peg to a certain extent? Yeah, so it's uh, it's only USDC. It's um, so it's partially collateralized by USDC, and the rest of it is algorithmic al algorithmically stabilized using FXS, which is the protocol's governance and utility token, similar to Luna and USD, but definitely not the same thing. Yeah, but but yeah, I, I think um, so. That's an interesting angle to explore. I mean, USDC is definitely one of the most um, trusted products in the entirety of crypto but we know now by kind this of, point yeah what the I hate word, that trusted, word now is i just exactly, don't right yeah so we know now what the word trusted actually means and it's it's actually a at this point in time especially it's a bit of a um it's a bit of a bad word so um and and you know we've we've said this before on the podcast as well and, and i think we hold true to it and we've been held held true to it since the start you're as centralized as the least centralized uh, as the uh, you're as decentralized as the least decentralized aspect of your stack now if frax is collateralized by usdc which itself is a centralized stable coin then and it purports to be a decentralized stable coin in the exact same vein as maker as dai um how decentralized is frax actually and um you know i think that's a debate that might be worth having for a little bit even though you know um we've 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 had similar debates in the past but yeah just just those couple of things for me sure also, so i mean before we uh, yeah, go for it go for it just one point i'd like to add i mean stepping back before we get into the weeds is that i personally find i mean the discussion we're going to have not just of frax but of stable coins in general one uh that is like you know particularly interesting to me and probably more interesting than uh other episodes that we've done because um, arguably stable coins are probably the product that's closest to product market fit in the crypto ecosystem, if not already hit product market fit. Um, uh, of course, majority is due to centralized issues, but nonetheless, uh, you know, stable coins has emerged as the lifeblood of crypto, really. And um, you know, discussing on the uh, how how what the path to decentralization is for the lifeblood of crypto is something that is not only interesting but also extremely extremely important for um, in the path forward given the last two weeks absolutely agreed with that um so with that let's just dive into how the stable coins exactly designed right so stable coins today as we, we kind of discussed but let me just elucidate it better stable coins fall into three buckets today in terms of categories so the first one and the biggest category by far is fiat backed stable coins issued by centralized entities so the biggest three stable coins today are USDT, USDC, and uh, BUSD issued by Tether, Circle, and Binance, respectively. They're issued by centralized entities, so we as users have to trust, or you know, or the or in the case of Circle, they're audited by the U.S. government to make sure that they have enough reserves uh, and that they're backing their whatever issue they they're backing their stable coins issued with a one is to one fiat counterpart, right? So. In that sense, Circle, like uh, you said, Sid, is the most trusted because it's a US-based company, so it's audited and you know the SEC obviously regulates it. So compared to Tether and BUSD, which are you know offshore, if I'm not wrong, uh, they're relatively more unsafe. Uh, but so far, Tether and BUSD have both maintained their bags, but that doesn't mean they will in the future. 
right? Then the second type of stable coin is crypto back, uh, over collateralized stable coins. The, the main one obviously is MakerDAO's DAI. It has around 5% of the market share, which equates to like 5 billion circulating supply. And the third type and the obviously least successful type of stable coin is the algorithmic stable coin. So as we all obviously know, Luna and USD was like the, you know, the flag bearer of algorithmic stable coins. And people were convinced at one point that, you know, that they would, that would be the future of stable coins. Obviously that was proven wrong because it's very easy to, you know, cause a bank run, a death spiral and DPEG an algorithmic stable coin. So with that, Frax has introduced a new uh, design choice over here where it's backed partially by uh, USDC and partially by its uh, governance token called FXS. So what that means is, let's say there's, if you, you want to mint $1 worth of Frax and there's a collateralization ratio essentially, which dictates how much of the, you know, the fiat back stable coin do you need to put as collateral and how much the remaining would come out as FXS. So to give you a better example, let's say you want to mint $1 of FRAX and the collateralization ratio is currently at 88%, for example. That means you put in $0.88 of USDC and the remaining 0.12 of FXS into the contract. You mint $1 of FRAX, your 0.88 of USDC remains as collateral in the system and the remaining $0.12 worth of FXS is uh, burned, right? So this burning and minting mechanism is very similar to what Luna employed and this collateral, uh, this, uh, you know, adding collateral to mint a stable coin is very similar to MakerDAO's DAI. So in a way it's under collateralized uh, and the burning and minting process helps maintain that peg, right? But you may ask what, what gives FXS is value. And even though it is, it isn't completely algorithmic and mostly collateralized, what's to stop a bank run, right? So a bank run usually happens when FXS, you know, FRAX is burnt and FXS is minted in large amounts to essentially defend that peg, right? Because you'll, uh, you'll burn $1 FRAX to redeem your collateral. And that's how, uh, you know, burnt frax then de decreases the supply and brings that peg back to $1. But if people are okay, you know, redeeming frax, that if it has an innate value accrual mechanism, then the peg can be maintained even in times of volatility because the FXS token has some underlying way of accruing value and has its own innate value other than just the fact that, can, that it can be used for minting and burning, right? So what is FXS's value accrual? We'll, you know, we'll get into that later, but for now it just suffices to know that it does have a value accrual mechanism and it does have intrinsic fundamental value. So that's basically how it works. Uh, if you want to ask some further questions so that we can discuss it a little better. Yeah. So, so, so would you say that like the minimum amount of collateral that Frax has is that collateral ratio averaged out uh, across all of the fracks that has ever been issued. Like for example, uh, like, I mean, the, I, I don't want to get into like the granularity of the exact amount of collateral that's there in the, in, in fracks ecosystem at the moment, but from a high level, is it fair to say that they've got a base 
that they can always withdraw and convert into USDC and um, and essentially allow people to have like a base layer um, of you know capital that they can draw upon in times of right. distress. So, the, so, so I guess we do have to get into the FXS value accrual because that's kind of key over here. So basically, FXS is the governance and utility token of the entire ecosystem. What that means is uh, every time you burn and mint, there's a fee that needs to be paid. So that fee essentially goes to the DAO treasury. And then also the other services that we touched upon earlier, such as FraxSwap, FraxLen, and FraxEath, they all charge fees on these respective platforms to, you know, to, to borrow and lend or to, to trade. They charge fees. So whenever the protocol has excess fees in the treasury, what they usually do is they use those fees and they buy back and burn the FXS token to always put buying pressure and also reducing the supply of the FXS token. So all the revenues accrued to the protocol are only used to buy and burn the FXS token just so therefore tying it all together and making that token valuable. And then since that token's valuable, it allows the token to defend the peg in times of volatility because people don't mind redeeming their fracs for FXS to maintain that peg because they know that the token eventually will accrue more and more value. Or hopefully rather. And what if you what if you deplete that reserve? What if you deplete the reserve of fees to maintain that peg? And what if the peg breaks? I mean, that's a lot harder to break the peg because it's mostly collateralized, right? So it would take, so for example, Luna was a hundred percent algorithmic and the Luna token itself didn't have any innate value accrual mechanism, right? So it was the only value the Luna token had was the fact that it could be, it was getting burnt, which was putting upward price pressure. And, you know, this started a positive flywheel effect. And this was mainly kind of fueled by Anchor giving absurd yields, right? So people automatically wanted to mint more and more UST and burn more and more Luna. But we saw how that, you know, that flywheel can go the other way uh, and, and lead to a downward spiral. And because this is mostly collateralized, so in general, the collateralization ratio has been 85% or above and only partially, partially you know, uh, algorithmically stabilized, it's a lot harder and it would require a lot more capital to cause a bank run on the protocol because and you don't need you don't need an entire dollar of fxs to stabilize the peg you need you know one you need 10 cents on the dollar to stabilize the peg if you think about it so is it fair to say that 85 percent is the floor collateralization ratio? Yeah. Is, is that just a historic yeah. no so it's it's they, they, they don't have like a you know like a hard floor it's completely determined by market forces and the hope is that as FXS has more and more product lines accruing more and more revenue that can become a larger part of the, you know, so basically the collateralization ratio can go down and it can be more and more algorith algorithmically stabilized. Now, I don't know if that's a safe thing to do and maybe they should have a minimum collateralization ratio to ensure that even in times of intense market volatility, the peg can be de defended, but they also want to be the most capital efficient stablecoin which, I mean, fair to say, I think, I think so far the peg has been defended very successfully. Even when USD collapsed, there was a minor depegging, but it was very immediate, immediately reversed, and it came back to one dollar. So, 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 yeah. um, just to summarize, um, 
actually i'll i'll ask a question before i before i summarize so after we so let's say that like the minimum the collateralization ratio is 85% right um and let's say that you know someone is really trying hard to break that peg um so they are attacking they're basically just um you know attacking the fxs portion of this and let's say that all of those reserves that have been accumulated from the fees uh, are depleted in trying to um you know save this trying to save this peg and then the peg breaks is the is essentially like the amount that creditors will get be 0.85 dollars for every dollar of f of fracs they own because it because they will have enough uh, capital let's say that they issue like a million uh, fracs and they have 850000 usdc and then they've got like you know with the rest in 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 fxs and then they spend everything that they've got in fxs to defend that peg they can't do it um and then the peg breaks but then that floor level that it finds is 0.85 dollars for every dollar is is am i looking at this correctly yeah 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 absolutely i mean so if you compare it to luna and think about it luna was 100% algorithmic right right so theoretically if the price of luna goes to zero there's nothing that's really holding up the usd peg right even usd will automatically go to zero which is what we saw here the minimum you still have 85% of it collateralized by real fiat backed stable coins so yeah that is theoretically the fl- the floor price that in in the event of a mass liquidation event event creditors would still be paid back you know 85 cents on the dollar okay i mean i i that, that yeah that's fair go on sid sorry no i just had a question on so the collateralization ratio now how is that determined is it algorithmically yeah so it depends on two things so one is fraxis price on the open market and the second thing is the amount of liquidity of fxs available across uh, different defi platforms essentially so i'm i'm not sure of the exact formula but those are essentially the two things it depends on got it so the the formula though is hard coded into the protocol and it's not yeah like, like yeah yeah so happening. they've designed the protocol with the need for like basically with the very minimum need for any kind of uh, you know dao governance intervention like the things that the dao can vote on and proposals that can be made are very limited in scope and they don't really change the core working of the protocol to change that you would have to hard fork the protocol and start from scratch they've ensured that the core base mechanism will always remain the same at a smart contract level got it and um just last question on this because it is like one of the core pieces of this uh, protocol um as an attack vector would what would the i mean i it, again like you don't have to know this but like what would like one of the worst attack vectors on this be like if would it be if you if you borrowed um if you borrowed frax at like leveraged amounts and basically just shorted frax uh, fxs and then therefore tried to break the peg in that way um and then there was a concerted attack basically like a concerted short attack trying to drain like liquidity or um basically just uh, b- basically get like the amount of fxs that can be defended below that critical line and then you and then like the last line of defense is that usdc backing collateralization yeah i mean yeah that would be like the 
worst case scenario for FX wouldn't it? Basically, the the way the protocol ends essentially is if FXS goes to zero. So you need to do something to make FXS go to zero. So that so the there's two ways to do that. Either you, you know, somehow manage to leverage up and massively short FXS and or something like that, or or you need to keep minting uh no, you need to keep burning more and more fracks to mint a shit more ton FXS. of FXS. So yeah, yeah you mean, the only way to do it is to that, accumulate. Yeah. You just need to accumulate as much fracks as possible to fuck the protocol. Then off. burn it, but then you how then you lose all your money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to be like an anarchist who wants to bring down the protocol to to do that. I'm I sure guess there are like other ways to do if it. If you have like, a, if you have a, yeah. I mean, if you have a short position on FXS and then you buy a shit ton of fracks, that make that makes sense, right? Then you, if you're, you know, if your profit on your shot is more than the amount of fracks you've burned to mint FXS, yeah. Then you, then I, I guess the economics, the, guess... The, the, that is an economical, that is an economic vector, right? Um, it depends on market conditions significantly, though, and you would hope that the DAO. I don't know how much this, like you said, like, I don't, I don't think you said that they have too much decision-making power, but, um, you know, like hopefully yeah, in those situations, you would hope for the DAO to like change the risk parameters or something like that to, to account for this. Um, or, you know, basically, I don't know, like, um, stop that attack vector from happening by, you know, blocking that address or something like that. I don't know. Right. Like you may, this is just, yeah. just throwing ideas out there, but, um, but but yeah, just because obviously like we're wary about the way the different ways in these things uh, that these things can collapse, uh, not without very good reason. So um, yeah. just wanted to understand, you know, what the what the different attack vectors could be and what the worst case outcome could be. Um, I, I I still like is there is there in your opinion um, no way in which like one. One frax is basically worth zero because of that uh, USDC cushion. That's that's basically it, right? Like, uh, how can it? Yeah. Let, let's put it another way. How can it go to zero? What is the what can make frax go to zero? The USDC I mean, it would take. Yeah, USDC has to break, right? That yeah, goes. I mean, if USDC breaks, then we have bigger problems than frax yeah. collapsing. Hundred percent. I yeah. hate that uh, we keep getting to this. Where if USDC breaks, we have bigger problems than X collapsing. If USDT breaks, we have other problems than Y collapsing. It's like centralization risk. It's the classic case in point for centralization risk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the so the way I guess Frax moves forward is they need to uh, diversify the collateral that's allowed. So if you have diverse amounts of collateral, even in the and if it's diversified enough, even if one of the potential collaterals collapses the rest can kind of shore it up and hopefully you know the price of fxs will be affected it might it might fall a lot but still the peg can be defended hopefully so i guess that's probably what they're thinking in terms of future roadmap and maybe oh, if you allow you know allow more volatile cryptos like bitcoin eats to or wrap bitcoin and eats to become collateral you could do so at a higher collateralization ratio yeah. yeah, but then you get into less cap capital efficiency like die, right? Yeah, so I mean that that's the inherent trade-off you have to make, right? You always you always. can't can't be both. You can't be safe and also be the most capital efficient. I don't think yeah. that's possible. Yeah.
anyway so that's the frax stable coin so before we move on to frax lend and frax swap i just want to touch upon one thing so frax came out with this uh thing called frax algorithmic market operations essentially what is it what it is is a set of mechanisms where uh frax is uh you know frax can essentially um use these different operations to earn revenue from different sources across different uh, protocols. So for example, they have four AMOs right now, algorithmic market operations. The one is the investor AMO, where idle USDC that's sitting as collateral goes and earns yield in Aave, Yearn, etc. Uh, the second one is the Curve AMO, where they deploy FRAX to Curve, essentially, and they they deploy and you know get rewards to their pools by buying a massive amount of convex, essentially. So that's the cost and the benefit is the rewards they get from their curve pools. Uh, the third one is a liquidity AMO where you can provide uh, liquidity for frax pairs on Uniswap and other EMMs and earn a fee on it. And the last one is the lending AMO where you can mint frax into over-collateralized lending markets for a fee. So essentially, frax wanted to use these different EMOs to create alternative alternative revenue sources. And whatever revenue is accru accrued from these different AMOs uh, would be used to buy and burn the FXS token to, you know, kind of uh, keep that value accrual going to the token to ensure that it has value, right? So basically the curve EMO that I spoke about is the largest EMO by far in terms of the revenue it, uh, it gets into the protocol. So the benefits of this curve EMO are pretty obvious for a stable coin if you think about it. Uh, one is it maximizes the liquidity between FRAX and 3Pool tokens. So essentially, the 3Pool is the biggest uh, pool on Curve right now with uh, USDC, USDT, and DAI. Uh, so essentially, what they're doing is creating a pool with FRAX and 3Pool LP tokens to ensure that there's enough liquidity for FRAX on Curve, right? Uh, and this also, this deep liquidity helps uh, maintain the peg also because it's a lot easier to trade frax and uh, mint and burn it if you want to and keep that peg at one dollar then of course they accumulate fees and lp rewards from curve and uh and they also uh, own a lot of convex and this uh, large amount of convex helps them boost their rewards that much more so majority of their uh you know the amo distribution is pretty much the curve EMO. The, the other three are kind of way less in terms of uh, overall revenue brought into the protocol. Uh, and there is a concentration risk because convex and curve is a majority of the rewards that accrue to the DAO treasury. But at the same time, this risk is mitigated by the fact that they pretty much, you know, they sell their rewards periodically to essentially buy frax FXS then and burn it, right? Um, but the problem with these EMOs is they had to deploy them on other protocols, which essentially meant that FRAX was not able to have complete authority over how its stablecoin was being used. And um, to make their stablecoin as perfect as possible, they kind of wanted to be insulated from the risks of other protocols like interest rates and smart contract risk, et cetera, which is why they came up with FRAX swap and FRAX lend. So before we get into those, if you have any questions. Yeah, I have one question. So the, the, the capital that's deployed through these AMOs, 
is essentially all treasury capital or is there some other source no so you as a user can uh you can also deploy your own capital to earn a share of the fees but a sh like a small share of that fees will always go to the dow treasury okay so so no i'm not, I'm not you can it. but yeah yeah no so you they do use the treasury funds for these different services to accrue more and more fees so in terms of like let me give you an example so what they do with treasury funds is they buy uh, or they use uh, the fxs token in the treasury to bribe convex holders and accumulate more and more convex then they use that convex that they've acquired to get more and more fees and rewards on curve right and then those fees directly accrue back to the fxs token holders in the form of the treasury then used like treasury taking those rewards and uh, changing them into fxs and then the fxs getting burnt got it so is it fair to say then the capital that's being deployed through these amos is a combination of existing treasury capital and also the deposits of you know usdc uh, that are made by yeah. users yeah exactly right the so more i can to mint I, I can go in and do it like i can go and i can like go and find an amo yeah so they they have like a they have an all in one dashboard where you can do all of this right so you can mint and burn you can redeem rewards frax swap frax lend frax eat they're all part of this one platform where you can Understood. go do everything it's it's called app.frax.finance it's you know it's like a it's a very Regular. clean ui and you know exactly what each tab is got it so yeah so that, so now with those emos the problem was that they were very dependent on other protocols uh to do this so frax swap essentially is was created by frax with this in mind essentially what it is is it, it's a it's a constant product automated market maker uh with an inbuilt time time weighted average market maker uh system so what that basically means is the time weighted part essentially means you can make large trades over a period of time and ensure that there's minimal price impact on your trade so instead of you know the uniswap constant product on v2 where you know if you have to exchange a large amount you you incur high slippage over here it's a different mechanism where the trade is split up into infinitely small trades essentially and executed over a longer period of time so that your trade um basically has minimal price slippage now so anyone can use fraxwap because it's like it's an open open source protocol public utility type thing but the main use currently of fraxwap is um essentially to uh to use the for the buyback and recollateralize functions used uh to essentially ensure that $1 peg on frax so they uh earlier it was it was like a separate uh tab i guess on the platform with a rudimentary kind of uh ui now they've cleaned that up and integrated that entire thing into fraxwap so you can you know you can mint and burn and essentially defend the peg on fraxwap but you can also exchange other assets on fraxwap so in a way it's a exchange that has a core function but anyone else can also use to create liquidity pools now what exactly is the differentiator for fraxwap like would i just use it cause have frax it's no so it's the first time weighted uh, automated market maker which means that large trades like even like for example uh 
the alternative uses of FlaxSwap could be uh, accumulating a treasury asset over time by selling governance tokens or buying back governance tokens slowly over time with DAO revenues and reserves. Normally, these things are very tough for DAO treasuries and DAOs to do in general because they they have to kind of, because it's embedded in a smart contract, there's no one actually manually inputting trades, right? So you need a efficient way of conducting a trade over time with minimal, minimal price slippage for a DAO. So it's useful for other protocols to use it, not really an average retail user. It's targeted as yeah, you know that's good for other I mean, honestly, yeah 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 that's good that's better yeah and then even if you want to do a DAO to DAO swap you can swap one governance token for another in a kind of crypto merger that would be easier to do with a time-weighted emm as compared to a regular emm i i see the so, i see the benefits from a you know b2b perspective essentially but won't it again be you know um uh, determined by the amount of liquidity that exists in the market in the um, in the in the what do you call in the AMM, and if the use case is narrow, then wouldn't that mean there's always going to be less liquidity? Yeah, I mean, but it's still that core function is still for minting and burning fracs and FXS, right? So, and to do that also, it it, it charges a user fee. And that fee is again used to buy back and burn the FXS token. So even though, even if it doesn't succeed as a independent AMM, it still has mm -hmm. a core use essentially. I mean, it it all all FraxSwap has done is kind of integrated the UI a little more to make it more all encompassing instead of just having that base uh, burn and mint mechanism over there. Okay. So. FraxSwap is still, you know, it's relatively new and the traction is kind of limited right now. It only has 50 million in TBL. Um, so that's really not much, uh, but still it's fa fairly recent. And, you know, I could see it having a use case in the future, especially once the bull market kickstarts a little bit more and, you know, treasuries have accumulated a few more assets and we'll see a lot more activity happening in DeFi when it comes to, DAOs and protocols, and that's where FraxSwap could shine. Um, so with that, uh, the second service is FraxLen. Also, another product line that they try to introduce. Uh, it functions pretty much identically to something like Aave, uh, where you, you know, you as a borrower, you deposit collateral, and you can bo borrow whatever asset you want. Usually. Uh, you know, Frax ecosystem tokens and a lender can uh, essentially uh, deposit liquidity and earn yield in the form of uh, F tokens, which are similar to C tokens or A tokens. Uh, and then again, all the fees accrue to FXS holders indirectly through buyback and burn. And then they've also added um, certain additional features such as custom term sheets for over-the-counter debt structuring uh, and these these structured deals can have specific maturity dates restricted borrowers and lenders under collateralized loans and limited liquidations so again this is not targeted to retail users right this is more for protocols and DAOs essentially and also it allows unique otc trades that you know something like compound or Aave couldn't really do 
or maybe Aave could do it through Aave Arc, but still a unique or relatively unique uh, use case. But essentially, it, it functions exactly like Aave for all intents and purposes. But all, all it does is it increases the coverage of fracks overall, increases the fees accrued to the protocol, and you know why not? I mean, like, uh, yeah, all of these guys are converging in the same way, aren't they? Like, Maker, Aave, yeah. uh, Frax. Yeah, same this is going to be my next point. Yeah, like, good. Ah, we're same wavelength. I'll let you carry on with it. Yeah, so essentially, now now that we spoke, we've spoken about stable coins, we've spoken about EMMs, and we've spoken about lending markets, right? And those three can be considered the holy trinity of DeFi, right? If you think about the core use cases of DeFi, it's those three things, right? Like Uniswap is the biggest AMM, Aave is the biggest lending market, um, and obviously the biggest stable decentralized stablecoin is DAI, right? So what if you had a service that encompassed all three aspects of this DeFi ecosystem, right? So Frax is obviously there now, even though they don't have the traction on FraxLen and FraxSwap as some of their competitors. Uh, but at the same time, the competitors are also kind of preparing for this convergence of the different, uh, you know, DeFi functions. So Curve and Aave are both releasing stablecoins sometime soon, maybe end of this year, beginning of next year. Um, Uniswap probably, I mean, or, or not Uniswap, but SushiSwap swap probably also would try to create a stablecoin. Um, the difference is though that Frax started as a stablecoin and ventured into the others while the others are starting as lending markets, OEMMs and venturing into this. Uh, do, you, do you think Uniswap da... create a stablecoin? No, not Uniswap. I meant SushiSwap because they're a little more experimental and Uniswap, you can tell from the community that they want to remain just a pure hyperstructure where yeah, they they're, have they're, they're... one simple function. Yeah. Biggest decks, stay I mean, the biggest decks. Are... Don't complicate yeah, it. Yeah, they... yeah, there's... I mean, it's a, it depends how you look at it, whether you think that DeFi, need, all these protocols need to integrate all these services or should they just make the existing services better, right? It's in, in my opinion, I think there's no harm creating more products as long as they're safe at a smart contract level, right? You're just increasing the reach and revenue sources that, and if tokenomics are designed correctly, can accrue more value to the, to the token holders as compared to just having one service. I'm, I'm not following one thing. So the whole point of these applications, let's take FraxLend and uh, FraxEth over say the exchange because that has, still has a fundamental use case. The whole point of these applications is to increase the value of FXS, correct? Yeah, yeah. And, but then, beyond these absolute niche use cases of, you know, OTC debt structuring and whatnot, why would anyone use it? Like would, so is the bet that these B2B services is going to be, that they predicted to be that large to, you know, um, bestow FXS with utility large enough to maintain the peg uh, or maintain the algorithmic part of the peg? Is that the bet here? The point of Frax is for that to be as for Frax to be the biggest decentralized stablecoin, right? So the way Frax is minted, the only way more can come into circulation is if FXS is burnt, right? And you put in more and more collateral into the platform. 
And for people to think Frax is valuable, they need to be ensured that the peg will remain stable. So how does the peg remain stable? It remains stable using the USDC collateral and the FXS. So FXS needs to have value for that peg to be maintained. So how do you maintain and create more value to FXS? Uh, you do that by accruing fees and using those fees to buy back and burn FXS. Now, how do you accrue fees? You accrue fees usually when providing liquidity or lending. Like those are the main two ways you create fees for a platform, right? And the newest one which we talk about is also Frax ETHs, where they want to get ETH staking yield and use that staking yield to again buy back and burn FXS. So it's all about increasing value of FXS so that more and more Frax can be minted and the amount of Frax in circulation goes up. I understand that. And and I guess what, what I'm trying to get at is if you look at it from the team's perspective, right? I'm trying to figure out what their thesis is. And as a retail user, like we've already discussed, uh, we're unlikely to use these protocols because we already have more established counterparts for each of them, right? You have Lido, you have Aave, and you have Uniswap, right? I mean, I would at least more likely use them than any of these protocols. So then the... um the target is naturally the uh, the businesses or the the other protocols and DAOs. So yeah. what I'm trying to ask is, is the team's thesis that the demand from these DAOs is going to be large enough to bestow to give AXS the ne the necessary revenue um, to you know get to to get some intrinsic value? Yeah, is, is I think their thesis is that. Um... If they if they went identical to Uniswap or Aave, for example, they would get zero market share from them, obviously, right. right? Why would you use something identical? So they had to differentiate themselves somehow. And I think the way they chose to do that is to make their uh you know frac swap and frac slide more conducive to DAOs to use as compared to a retail user. Because anyways, a retail user would would have to really research and know about Frax, right? But DAOs would do their research and they would know the best destinations to trade or, you know, lend and borrow. And Frax, I guess, is trying to position themselves as that. Got and it. in terms of Frax, Frax Etho, um, I think, you know, it doesn't really cost much, especially since the price of Ethereum drops so much to run a validator node. So there's minimal risk in doing so. And it's also a diversified revenue stream in a way. Obviously, it's a really small revenue stream because, you know, staking is more and more competitive and validators are competing against each other. So I don't think they expect to gain like massive market share on Lido or something like that. But let's say that even a retail user would maybe know that Lido is, you know, 70% of all staking power right now. They want to diversify out of that. Maybe they choose Frax, right? Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, that last bit probably, I, 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 I'm not convinced on that. But I think, I think the answer. I mean, minimal. It's minimal, minimal risk to them, right? Oh. Like, what, what does it cost to run a validator node, especially when the price of Ethereum is hmm. crashed so hard? Yeah, but then sure. that's like also really like a very narrow viewpoint to to look at this through right oh the price of ethereum is low now so like people might be incentivized now but i mean that also can be looked at in the other way going like oh the market is absolutely screwed right now what is the point of running a validator node at this point um you know um and like why would i do it on frax time i mean you, you can also make the argument the other way around i get sid's point 
um, in the sense that there are better established alternatives. Um, in terms of stable coins itself, uh, I think that Frax is an interesting model, but and, and, and I do think that the capital efficiency aspect of it is interesting enough um, in terms of, you know, the collateralization and everything, but the collateralization ratio right now is already pretty high. I just looked it up and it was about like 93%. Would you rather have a collateralization ratio of 93% or 100%? I mean, it's literally like, I, I, I don't know, right? Like it, it, it's pennies on the dollar. Um, and the capital efficiency might increase a little bit, but then, uh, and, and Frax is there across different chains, which means that it can be usable. But I, I feel like the product is targeted towards a niche of crypto users who are crying out for a product that can, that is, that has a decentralized stable coin at the heart of it and can provide all of these three functions together. Um, which to be fair, I mean, not a lot of people are actively looking for that from a, or definitely not from a retail perspective, from a DAO perspective, maybe, but then that already reduces your target addressable market significantly, especially when you consider that DAOs also have other options to choose from as well, the, the same options that retail does, right? And those other options are also maybe better suited to DAOs than FRAX, than FRAX maybe. I'm not saying Frax is like a useless product or anything like that, right? I think it's a very interesting experiment and I've read stuff that Sam Kazibian has said. Um, I, I've read about, you know, their philosophy and everything. I think that they're pretty interesting. Um, but whether they're going to have the escape velocity to beat the incumbents, I'm not too sure. Um, maybe they don't want to do it. I don't really know. Um, but, and, but, but, you know, uh, yeah, that's, that's my, that, that's my two cents think, on, think, on Frax. I think it's a bit incorrect to say that, you know, make the comparison right now of, you know, 93% collateralization ratio versus a hundred percent ratio. Uh, because the whole idea is to make it, you know, progressively more capital efficient because that's the goal. I mean, the, they're not trying, they're not claiming that this is the end state of the product, but I think, um, I think, you know, concluding this main question for now is they are betting on the they're they're trying to capitalize on and and hoping that the market opportunity for b2b defi primitives is large enough to make their stable coin as capital efficient as possible um without succumbing to you know the let's say the ust terror risk of going fully um algorithmic right i think would that be an appropriate way to to encapsulate what they're trying to do here yeah, I think so. I guess what they need to work on or, you know, what they need to tell investors is how they plan on growing the protocol in the future. What are their future product lines? How are they bringing in more revenue? Because as the value of FX has goes up, they can mint more and more fracs, which is ultimately, ultimately the end goal, right? And investors in fracs essentially invest in the FX as token, right? So there needed to be one like a, a unifying way to bring together all of this value into one single token. And if it was a hundred percent collateralized, then, you know, how does the platform or how do investors and the founders make money? Yeah. It, yeah. It's, I, it's, I, I, I get it. It's it, it honestly seems like USD with a backstop, um, a backstop from, you know, uh, the maker stable, stable coin. Yeah, I mean, and that we haven't spoken to that about that to be fair, because I mean that's a huge risk vector, right? And you you alluded to it earlier, Sid, that the fact that 
if USD collapses or US, you know, um, if, if whoever, whichever centralized, uh, whichever stablecoin issuer they use to uh, collateralize it, if that falls, then this whole, you know, it's, it, it, it will be called a game of cards. At the yeah, end but of it, it, it is. But like the thing is that at the end of the day, there are, I mean, you can consider it as for a form of credit rating in crypto, but I think USDC is pretty high in terms of like yeah. credit rating. Yeah. In, yeah, right. Um, so if it collapses, it will be like a major shock to the, I mean, major shock is underselling it. Like, I, I don't know what would happen if USDC collapsed, to be honest, it is a cute, it's, it's game over really like to a large extent, then you're going to have to build up from the ashes. Um, yeah. So See, USDC can't it can't collapse like the way Luna really. and USD did. Right? It can be it can be regulated heavily, and that's the main risk. Oh, they can stop. Yeah. They can they can just they can they can just stop uh, withdrawals. I mean, that would be effectively USDC collapsing. That would that would only happen through regulators, right? USDC or Circle, the company. Why would they want to freeze the product that they have created? No, no one wants to do it. Uh, I mean, bad oh, it, yeah. the, the risk is regulation. So maybe Frax's path forward is decent or not decentralizing, diversifying the collateral sources. Yeah, but the what risk is also know? like the FTX risk, which is, I mean, again, they do provide like attestations and proof of reserves and everything. So I don't want to put USDC remotely in the same bucket as this, but the risk is also the FTX risk, where you're just a massive fraud. Um, but then, the, then again, like you can't ever... I mean, it's impossible to do business when you think everyone's a fraud. So, you know, you've kind of got that going against yeah. the FTX. Are, yeah. there, are there any stable coins which have, um, you know, a tokenized gold uh, as, Pax G. as collateral? Pax G, Pax source gold. Yeah, Pax G. And, and but Pax G, I mean, Pax G is fine, but like Pax G also is like a bit of a weird one. It it tokenizes one fine troy ounce of gold um, that is stored in like some vault in London or something, and uh, and and it it I think like it tokenizes it per serial bar, uh, but like each gold bar has a serial number or something like that, and you can you know you have the right to that asset. Um, but I mean, like tokenized gold. Uh, like what, I'm gold, is, like what I'm trying to get at is what is USDC? No, no. What I'm trying to get at is as collateral for something like Frax, uh, to use you know beyond and to diversify away from USDC, maybe use USDC and tokenized gold. Um, yeah, but then all of these are like at the end of the day, like uh, sure, like you can diversify your sources and everything. Um, at the end of the day, like it's still like a bit of a risk. Um. Oh, <laughs> I mean, like no one's, no one's saying, no one's saying, no one's saying no, right? Like you're right. I mean, there's, uh, there's definitely avenues that can be explored uh, about how Frax could do it. But like Frax is also using USDC to maintain that floor. It's lit it, it is using it to maintain that floor. That floor can shift if it's using Pax Gold, because that floor can actually get lower. Right, but it's better, than, it's better than Bitcoin. It's much less volatile than Bitcoin. Yeah, but no one's saying but use Bitcoin. Like, if you're trying to pay a token to Bitcoin, then what are you trying to do? I mean, like... No, I mean, that's what that's what Doke wanted. I mean, the LFG had a... Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. It, it wasn't like pegging it to Bitcoin. I think he was just like, oh, we have it a wasn't. reserve. And... Right. Huh? Which is, which is similar. I mean, yeah. Like Maybe it's just Bitcoin, has, Bitcoin and Ethereum as collateral for FRAX. As simple as that, right? With higher collateralization ratios, won't be as capital efficient, but would be extremely rugged. 
if they want to go down then, that path. Then, then it becomes a die, essentially. Yeah, but still with this burning and minting process too. Because if you think about Maker, the token, it's pretty useless. It's a protocol yeah. backstop. And if it anyways reaches that level, the value of Maker itself will spiral to zero. So, you know, the protocol will be insolvent. They're completely relying on people wanting to mint more and more die in an over-collateralized way. It's essentially borrowing, right? Frax is, is different. It's minting. So... I mean, yeah, I make. I mean, you're, you're putting in one dollars worth of assets and getting one dollar of assets out. I mean, Maker also lot. has a lot of other That's problems. Like, I think that this might, this one is actually like, I mean, if you actually look at Maker and like really look at it, what is it except for like a cabal of people controlled by? Like, I don't want to say cabal. Cabal is a bad word. What is it? A group of? What is it? But a group of people controlled by Rune Christiansen's delegated Maker tokens. It's nothing but that. Yeah, yeah. course. I mean, I mean, his end game plan. He. He is like open to die becoming a free float currency, right? He's yeah, like, and he wants to like create... peg not being defended and whatever. So that's a whole different issue, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but like, yeah, the whole maker thing is a is a different topic. But I I see. I at the end of the day, I don't think Frax is like a bad experiment or anything. As long as it doesn't like go crazy and uh you know abandon its collateralization ratio, abandon like it's you know start scaling like insane, then you know that there's a problem because if you're trying to grow too fast, then like you are going to I mean especially in a system like this, slow and steady wins the race, um a little bit you know um and 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 for something that is as systemic as a stable coin, uh yeah for something that's as systemic as a stable coin, you need to be a little slow. Uh, to to go about this. Yep, agreed. So with that, um, you know, we've spoken a lot about the stablecoin landscape. We've spoken about how Frax works, and you know, now it's onto the you know the meat of the discussion, which is tokenomics. Obviously, our favorite aspect of any protocol. So we kind of dis uh, discussed FXS already uh, and how it accrues value from different product lines, fees, et cetera. And those fees are used to buy back and burn the FXS token. But FXS has also implemented a V-tokenomics model very similar to Curve. So you know they've incentivized holders in another way to ensure that they must hold their token in the form of VFXS and you know vote is screwed FXS to ensure that they get uh, a share of the fees and boosted rewards, very similar to what Curve does, right? So v, so one FXS token can be locked for a maximum of four years and generates four VFXS tokens. The amount of VFXS decreases linearly as the unlocking date approaches and users can relock their VFXS whenever to reset slash increase their VFXS balance. And, you know, it's also VFXS is used to vote on government's governance proposals, et cetera. And, you know, staking your FXS for VFXS is the obvious thing to do because that prevents dilution of voting power over time, right? Very similar to Curve. So they've also introduced that game theory aspect, which has made Curve so successful as a protocol into Frax itself. Now, I don't know if they're just trying to do, you know, just combine all the best practices of DeFi into one protocol and whether it makes sense to have VFXS, but clearly it's another way to incentivize holders to lock their tokens in and take off that much of the circulating supply of the market, right? 
So is the only thing VFXS is used for governance? Governance and uh, deciding where rewards go. So essentially, I think there's yeah, 25. Same stuff, right? Yeah, it's exactly the same. What exactly what is what do the rewards get you? Like, what are the rewards and what do they get you? So the token distribution has changed from twenty five thousand FXS per day to sixteen thousand four hundred thirty eight FXS per day, and I think this reward uh keeps on decreasing year on year. I can't find the exact amount by which it decreases, but it's around fifty percent a year. So there's less and less rewards over time, uh, which and you know. What do they get you? Like, what do you do with these FXS? FXS accrues value, right? And you can use FXS to mint ah, that way. Uh, fracks. Yeah. Okay. I mean, at least like there's a clear yeah. use, benef- use case here. Yeah. I don't definitely. know. Sid, you it's, seem like you seem like a, you're not convinced by the use case. I mean, it's not about being convinced or not. I mean, like you said, I think you really put it well when you said it's a worthy experiment. Um, it seems like, uh, I don't know. It's I mean, see, what if, like there are multiple scenarios. Like, what if FXS, FXS is used to essentially grow the circulating supply of fracks? But if they over, you know, over optimize for FXS value accrual, why would I even like, you know, why would I? Um, want to mint fracks, but I not want to just hold FXS. So that's I mean, like let's say one. you want to use fracks to buy something else. Yeah, I mean, fair, but I mean, at some point, but you can still know. get your FXS. But you that way you can still like burn your. Fracks yeah, you can always get back. it back. That yeah, FXS exactly. is always I, there, right? No, but do I do I get the amount that I burned, or do I get the value of it like, at the time? No, no, you, you know get I mean? uh, the, like, no, so, money. yeah, no, 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 so you, you won't get an equal amount of FXS, you'll get $1 back, which can be any amount of FXS, depending on what the current market price is. Depending on the collateralization ratio, basically. So let's say that the collateralization ratio, when you minted FXS, uh, when you minted FRAX from FXS was like 85%. So let's say you had... Uh, let's say you mint $100 worth of fracks, right? So you have to supply 85 USDC and 15 FXS, um, right? And then let's say that you want to burn those $100 back and get your component tokens back. You get, and, and then let's say the collateralization ratios changed to like 88%. You get 88 USDC back, but you get only, uh, but you get only 12 fracks, uh, sorry, 12 FXS back. $12 worth. Twelve dollars worth. Yeah. Twelve dollars worth. Yeah, yeah. So first you right. first you first you uh, first you minted. Uh, you essentially locked away fifteen dollars worth of FXS, and you're getting back twelve dollars worth of FXS. That's basically what happens. So the 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 what you're exposing yourself to is the change in collateralization ratio. So in riskier conditions, um, in riskier yeah. conditions, that the, the it's it's like a two way street. It's, it's you have to look at it in two ways, right? It's kind of similar to impermanent loss, isn't it? If I'm understanding this correctly. Well, like I would say that. Um, mm. uh, it's a yeah, thing. I guess actually you can look at fracts itself as an LP token, right? And the LP is the the ratio is provided in FXS and USDC, and that ratio is dynamic, right? And then when you're minting fracts, you're essentially minting an LP token that gives you. Um, a sh- gives you the 
uh, the common right to get back your collateral in USDC as well as your FXS. Now, if the yeah. price of FXS changes and the collateralization ratio changes, those are two ways where you can get a, you'll still get $1 worth back, but in a different form. Yeah. So in a way, I guess it is impermanent loss, but not exactly. But yeah, I guess that's a, that's a like, good analogy and, and, to make. And the, and the thing is that I like, think about it in like these kinds of market conditions, right? So let's say you have FXS, right? You have $15 worth of FXS in the same example. You're like, and now you're looking at the market and going like, oh God, this market is so bad. I want to lock up my FX. I want to like, you know, hold it in a stable coin, but I, and I have FXS. So, you know, I can be a little bit more capital efficient and just deposit my FXS, be rid of like the fluctuation in value of that FXS and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and essentially mint a frax token, which I expect to be, you know, relatively stable in value. Right. And the, basically the bet that you're making is that you're willing to take the hit that the collateralization ratio increases because the market conditions are riskier. You're willing to take the risk to your FXS mm -hmm. by, uh, by, by saying that, oh, I would rather have it in a stable store of value rather than, than being exposed to the volatility mm -hmm. of that FXS. Yeah. 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 So that's kind it's kind of an option. It's not really an option, but like it's, it's a bit, it's like a, it's just the play. It's just like a like a thing to do in the market when you want to de-risk. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I see. The, it seems to me like there was just the, the whole bet here is B two B adoption, and that I don't know. I mean, it's it's the retail is not. I I highly doubt retail is going to adopt this. I don't see. Uh, uh, I mean, unless where... you create like yeah, like what like I have not seen any clear incentives for retail to adopt it. Let, let's put it this way. Like right. yeah, retail needs to have incentives to adopt, right? Like, well, I don't know what exactly it would be here. No, no beyond, I mean, that, that's a bit, that's a, probably the most important point, but I'm, but one additional layer is also just, um, given Luna's collapse and the whole space, I think, I think retail is going to get smarter. And if they do, and if they don't understand something, they're not going to, at least in the near future in the you say two, three years down the line. If you think about it, what retail doesn't need to adopt Frax, retail needs to believe that the FXS token value will go up. You need more and more people. Yeah, but that'll happen. In, what, what is that? That sounds a bit like a Ponzi, dude. That sounds like that sounds like that. <laughs> no, it has a, it has a clear it has a it has a clear value accrual, right? So yeah, if it can increase the fees to the token, and if you know investors spot that early enough or even if they don't actually because there's a constant buy and burn the fxs token should theoretically go up in price right so that is the way you mint more and more fracks into the system yeah i guess yeah, so come, i mean the product i mean it's so. very it sounds it's sounding similar to luna and usd but we know <laughs> it's, it's not it's not that it's it, it it at least I think has a bit more back it not even a bit more it has yeah. more backing behind it for sure like I mean the thing is that FXS yeah. itself um, seems more robust now whether I mean me personally I don't know right like I'm no, I, I but my risk perspective is different like I'm not a DAO um, so yeah yeah um, different yeah anyways so I mean that's so that's the token demand side uh, then there's also the token supply. So there, there was initially a hundred million FXS uh, uh, as the total supply. 
uh, of which 65% was allocated to the community. And by allocated to the community, it basically uh, was for their liquidity programs and farming and the FXS rewards, similar to Curve. Uh, so that's 60% of the total tokens were for that. 5% uh, was for the protocol treasury. Uh, and the remaining 35% uh, was essentially for investors and the team. And of that, you know, 35%, all of it has already been invested. So there's no token unlocks coming in the future that anyone really needs to worry about. The only uh, supply increase is coming from, uh, I mean, obviously, if you burn in, uh, if you burn uh, uh, Frax to mint FXS or uh, with the farming rewards from uh, VFX, VFXS, right? Um, right, so that's essentially the supply. Pretty solid, if you ask me, because um, they've allocated a reasonable amount to investors, team advisors. 35% is pretty much in line with the industry standard and a majority of it to the community. And all of the investors' tokens have already been invested and unlocked. So there's no more selling pressure, massive selling pressure going to come in the future to the protocol. So that's great. Um, then we can move on to governance. So essentially, Frax's governance module is forked from Compound. And lots of protocols have done it because Compound uh, has a great governance. Or not great, it has a pretty robust governance replicable. system. Replicable. That was the word I was looking for. Replicable governance system. Uh, I don't know. You want to get into the details? It's just of Governor Bravo. Governance. It's not too hard. It's yeah. not too hard. Like Governor Bravo yeah. is the name. They use a one token, one vote model. Basically, um, they have like yeah. a very standard way of submitting proposals. Like then you indicate community preference on snapshot. After that, you you well, you first post in the forum, indicate community preference and snapshot, take it forward to an on-chain proposal and like on the governance dashboard. The on-chain proposals comes um comes you know with an execution payload essentially. So that means that when the uh, on-chain decision has been made in favor of um, the proposal, can be executed automatically. Um, so it's got this. I guess if it's the same system, then it's got the same benefits um, of ease of use. Uh, and understanding across the ecosystem that compounds governor Bravo does, but then the issues are obviously the same with in, in terms of inflexibility of governance, whale problems, one token, one vote problems, th those kinds of things, unless I'm incorrect about this. Yash. No, yeah, it's pretty much exactly that. And it's also pretty minimized because the proposals that can be made themselves are quite limited. So you don't need as much active governance as something some other DeFi protocol. Um, yeah. So yeah, which is the, the problem? Governance. What does that mean? What do you mean it's limited? By the way, sorry. I mean, there's a there's the proposals uh, don't really affect the core working of the protocol. It's more it's more things like uh, token pairs to be allowed on Frax swap or the rates that uh, how to dynamically change the interest rates on Frax lend uh, things like that. It they isn't that a bit of an issue? I mean. Why though? If it's they've already proven that the product or the protocol is pretty robust, especially in terms of maintaining the peg, which is its core function, right? So why fuck with that core function? Yeah, I mean, fair. I, I, the whole decentralized. Yeah, I mean, like to be fair, I'm not like advocating in 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 uh, favor of. I don't want to ad advocate in favor of like more stringent and granular on-chain governance anyway. 
because um, yeah, like on-chain governance is both a curse and a boon. So, you know, um, yeah, I guess like it yeah. remains to be seen how centralized this gets. Yep. Um. So then we can uh look at you know just the protocol revenue and the DAO treasury real quick. So I think the the protocol is that does an annualized run rate of around a uh, hundred million dollars in uh, accrued profit, which is quite great. And they also have a DAO treasury balance of one hundred and twenty million dollars. The problem is it's uh, very concentrated in con convex essentially. Um, it's a convex uh frax uh LP token essentially where most of the uh, treasury is concentrated. Uh, but you know, Convex has proven, Convex and Curve have proven their robustness and their longevity. And even though there is concentration risk, I think there's worse, uh, you know, assets to be concentrated in. And Convex obviously has its usage because they can incentivize a lot of liquidity on Curve using Convex and create new pairs, which they did, for example, with Fraxeeds. They created a ETH Fraxeed trading pair with a lot of liquidity incentivized to that pool easily using the amount of convex they've amassed. So yeah. I, in a way it's a smart strategy for a, you know, a stable coin provider to accumulate lots of convex. Uh, then we can look at the team and investors. We already spoke about the, uh, the founder, Sam Kazemian, just a little bit of a background on him. He's a Iranian American software programmer. He previously co-founded Everypedia, a for-profit uh, Wikipedia-based online encyclopedia, so nothing really crypto-related. And in 2019, he founded Frax. So not too much of a track record, but judging by the way the Frax team ships out updates and different product lines, I think he's very solid. And considering the commentary he gives on Twitter, etc., he's clearly very knowledgeable about the space and has a clear vision for the protocol. And because of that, I guess they have, you know, a lot of reputed investors and backers, including Dragonfly Capital, Crypto.com, Electric Capital, Multicoin, Galaxy Digital, uh, Stani from Aave, Balaji Srinivasan, Banker, Synthetics. I mean, just a ridiculous list of backers and investors. Now, I'm not saying that means it's bound to succeed, but it does give it a little amount of additional credibility, I guess. I mean, yeah, kind of, but at this point, not really. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that project should be judged based on who's backing it. The product, yeah. product should it's be just an additional data point. Is. It's just an it's just yeah. an additional data point. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So with that, we I can mean, finally talk about crypto.com and multi-coin yeah. life. I mean, like, fine. Yeah. Not. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, For sure. sorry. Go on. Uh, so now we can talk about, finally talk about the price action of FXS. So it's been pretty volatile, honestly, but that's pretty much any cryptocurrency you look at. Uh, there's very few cryptos that, you know, kind of don't move with the market and are not highly correlated with Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, so Frax, I think it reached a high of around $40, but it's settled at around four dollars current currently so obviously massive drop in value but even with that massive drop in value the peg has been maintained very very solidly so i mean that's kind of proof that or not proof it's proof so far that the peg can be maintained even with massive drawdowns in price for fxs and um although 
I mean, I am seeing that, you know, that death spiral potential risk. I feel like that's a very, very, very tail risk. So it is possible, but not as much so as Luna was. Luna and UST was in a way. So yeah, I mean, if you invested at the right time at FXS as it as you did with any crypto, you would have made money. The problem is the market is just so heavily correlated. It's it's tough for the projects, um, you know, uniqueness to really shine through when everything is just moving together. Um, oh. and that leads us to you know the major risk to Frax, which is a death spiral essentially. Uh, uh you know, very similar to Luna and UST. And another thing that happened, which was much smaller in scale, but still should be pointed out, is that when uh, the Fay protocol and, uh, you know, Rari, they fused together to, it was kind of a merger of two DAOs uh, to create TribeDAO. Uh, one of their fuse pools essentially got hacked and um, 12 million of Frax protocol's money was essentially stolen uh they ended up making the victims whole i think and in the grand scheme of things wasn't a big deal to frax but what this points out is that frax has a lot of exposure to lots of different DeFi products now because it's all over right and that increases the risk in general to the project because it is but also it is at the same time it's also diversified so it can work both ways and also, I mean, I'm not sure if I'm explaining like, that really well. But... No, I, I think I get what you're saying. I mean, like, it's basically that the AMOs that um, Frax uses to as a value accrual mechanism for the FXS token, right, do hold with them a certain amount of risk. And you have to understand as an investor and as a user whether you want to indulge in those kinds of risks. And more than that, trust another party with your funds to be able to to be able to make best use of those funds, right? Um, and and I, I think this is a point we haven't really discussed in the sense that like the AMOs to a certain extent, um, the AMOs to a certain extent do depend on, uh, you know, um, users trusting Frax to earn them yield. And that's yeah. a bit of a, that's fair, I guess, but it's a, it's not, I mean, it's not like it's not pretty risky. So important to keep that in mind. Yeah. With that, I think we can conclude. Um, my overall opinion on Frax is that it's a very, very interesting DeFi protocol, made some really interesting design choices. The team ships products really fast. And, uh, you know, because it's governance minimized, it's easier for the protocol to make upgrades because uh, the core the core product doesn't really need to be messed with, and they just need to add incremental product lines and upgrades to ensure essentially how we discussed that the FXS token ultimately accrues value. That's the whole game here for this to succeed. So I think it remains to be seen whether Frax will succeed, whether it'll be the decentralized stablecoin. But so far, I'm overall I'm impressed by them. Yeah, my 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 I, I think my opinion is just uh that it's a worthy experiment and that there are many things that you can pick apart that we've been trying to do so, which is actually a good thing because we should be picking these things apart. Um but at the end of the day, uh yeah, like just I think Sid and I <laughs> have both latched onto these words, but it is a worthy experiment. So that's that's just my uh my conclusion. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, same Cool. I think uh, I awesome. think that's so, it, guys. Yep, yeah, with that we can conclude a long, long episode this time. <laughs> no, I think yep. I think this was a good. I think we covered the important parts, and I think this is. I think stable coins are one particular topic we don't want to, you know, um, skimp out on. Miss, yes, exactly. We want to cover as many aspects as possible. I think I think we did a good job here. Cool. Yep. Cheers. Thanks, guys. And uh, yeah, thanks, thanks everyone for tuning, for tuning in. Yep. And uh, yeah, uh, catch you guys next time. And uh, uh, stay safe. Keep uh, not your kind, not your coins, not your keys. Uh, we're gonna repeat yeah. that from last time because honestly, the it, it can't be emphasized enough. But yeah, yeah. thanks guys, and see you later.